You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Hey, good morning, church. It's easy to give with a joyful heart in church, right? Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. If you all stand to your feet, hopefully there's joy in your heart this morning. I just want us to be the body of Christ and minister to one another this morning, just feeling this uh, leading during worship. You know, we are called to be the body of Christ, the embodiment of Christ, to represent him. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, we want to do what he did. He healed the sick. And I want us to pray for those that need, need a touch in their bodies this morning. If you have a need this morning in your body, you need healing, would you just raise your hand? We're going to pray for you this morning. Yeah, hands all over this place. You can see those hands. I was just even reminded of testimonies this morning during worship of an individual in our church who was healed of sciatic nerve pain in her lower back after having her second child. She went to a prayer team, and the Lord healed her that morning. Another uh, testimony, even a, just a sovereign healing during a worship service right here, someone suffering from arthritic pain in their hands, not even able to open a, b- a bottle of pop. And they placed their hands out like this, and the Lord just touched them remove the pain in their hands still to this day. Um, And that's the God that we serve. He's he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And oftentimes people will ask me, more than once I've been asked, you know, why do we pray for the sick? I mean, is this maybe detracting from the centrality of the cross um, for Jesus to be our salvation from sin? But we we pray for the sick because Jesus healed the sick. We want to do what he did. And he went about doing these works, and he said, go and do these same things. And even greater works you'll do in my name. So again, raise your hand if you need a touch. There's going to be even more now because I, I just raised the, uh, the, the level of faith in the house. If you see a hand around you, we just uh, extend a hand towards them, or if you're close enough, you can place a hand on them. We're going to pray just for the miraculous this morning, for God to touch bodies right now. So pray in faith that God would do what only he can do. It's all about him. It's all about him, and we, we become the conduit. Hallelujah. Someone needs to hear the report of the Lord this morning. He's speaking a better word over you. His cross is speaking a better word over you this morning. He is more than enough. It's by his stripes that you are healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Be whole. Be well. Body, soul, spirit, be healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. If you experienced something, a sensation, if you felt like the Lord touched your body, you can go ahead and test it out, see if the Lord began to do a work in you. Let's just give the Lord a huge hand, just because he's worthy. Not because of what he does, he's just worthy. We worship you, God. We worship you, King Jesus. You are worthy. Come on, church. He's worthy. Not because of what he does, he's just worthy. King Jesus, you're worthy. You've always been worthy, not just because of what you have done or what you do or what you're going to do. You're always worthy. For all of eternity, you are King Jesus who is worthy. You can go ahead and find your seat. God is so good. Church is fun. 
If you have your Bibles, you're going to open up to Genesis chapter 15. First book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 15. I got a little bit of a ring in my mic here. This morning, we're going to continue the series Pastor Tony kicked off last week called Life Together. You know, we have spent nine months pressing into this theme, this biblical gospel theme of kingdom. Jesus came and described his work through the lens of kingdom. And so for nine months, we've been unpacking that. And as we bring this school year to to a close, we felt like we wanted to end by now applying applying this lens of kingdom to the the everyday relationships um, that we find ourselves in, the the everyday relationships of Monday through Sunday. And so that's what we're doing. Tony, last week, um, unpacked a kingdom lens of marriage, and it was powerful. My wife and I were visiting a, a different church uh, down south last weekend, so I was listening to the message in an airport, and I was just in tears listening to the podcast, hearing him uh, unpack a difficult passage and applying it to both husbands and wives with this kingdom uh, urgency to lay down our lives for our spouse. It was powerful. And um, this morning, we're going to talk about kingdom family. Kingdom family. I want us to see this primary vehicle for blessing the world that God has designed in the unit of family that predates the fall. This was God's, one of God's primary vehicles for blessing the entire earth is family. And before some of you tune me out this morning, I want to, I want to tell you that this message is for everybody. This is for everybody in the house. Everybody can sit in awe of King Jesus' ways. Whether or not you will be uh, a husband or a father or a, a father or a mother, um, a, a, you know, a father or a mother or a husband or a wife, it doesn't matter. You can all celebrate and affirm God's design for blessing the earth. I know there are some in this place that, that may, may not receive or you think you can't receive this morning because of the season of life you're in. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're divorced. Um, maybe you feel like you'll never be married. Maybe you feel called to singleness. You can still receive this morning because God's vehicle for blessing the earth remains the same. Maybe, maybe it's from your experiences growing up that maybe you have a hard time receiving that maybe God has a better way for family because you, you grew up in a broken family. All you've known is, is bickering and fighting and divorce and remarriage and divorce and remarriage. And, and it's, it's hard to begin to open up your heart to maybe the fact that God has a better way. Or maybe you're in the house and you're, you are, you are a, a father or a mother and you already feel overwhelmed and you're you don't want another message about more things to do. You're like, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Well, I want to tell you, I'm not going to give you more things to do. I'm not going to propose some sort of um, Christian perfectionism. Instead, I want us to see family differently. I want us to see family through the lens of kingdom. And that then will begin to inform what we do and how we go about doing it. So this is for everybody this morning. Despite your situation or your circumstances, everyone can see and recognize God's purposes and design in family. So Genesis chapter 15. You know, God is the author of family. Amen? 
culture is not, our generation is not, whatever our generation comes up as, as a definition for family doesn't compare to what, what King Jesus says, what God, the author of all things, has said. This gives us hope and a sense of assurance that he has a purpose for us, specifically in the context of our families. So family isn't just a biological necessity. It is a house for furthering God's purposes. God has a purpose for your family. So let's look at the father of our faith, Abraham himself, Genesis chapter 15. We're going to look at several passages from Abraham's life. Being we've, we've inherited much of our understanding of, of family through this patriarch of the faith, Abraham. Let's just pray before we, before we read God's word. King Jesus, you are here. I feel such a joy in the house as we revel in your presence, as we fix our eyes on you, as the things of this world fade away in your presence, as the worries and the strife, the heartache of this world really burns up in your presence. Joy takes the day, and I thank you for that. And I pray that there would be moments of clarity this morning as we peer into your word. There'd be moments of clarity for people to understand your higher purposes for family. This conduit, this vehicle for blessing the world, that people would see it. Maybe they hadn't got it, maybe they hadn't thought about it before, but now they see it for what it is in a, in a, in a, uh, with greater clarity. I pray that upon every heart, every mind, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am, your I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. That's the, the encounter, the declaration that he has in this encounter with the Lord. I am your shield. I'm your protector. Your, your reward shall be great. Some translations say that I am your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord declares to him. That's, that's really good news. The Lord is your reward. As you have this desire to chase after all these other things in this world, he is your reward. As Jesus himself describes himself as the pearl of great price, he describes himself as the, the treasure hidden in a field. It's King Jesus. He is your exceedingly great reward. Verse 2, but Abram says, in this conversation, in this encounter with the Lord, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. So the Lord had promised that he would be a father of many nations, that from his family he would bless all the nations of the world. He'd already given him that promise back in Genesis chapter 12. Now, years later, he has this encounter with the Lord. He has this familiarity, this friendship with God. He was uh, the scripture says he was a friend of God. And so for, for you and I, we have this, these encounters with the Lord and they, they mark us and they, we really don't have words to say. It's almost like Abram responds very conversationally, but, but Lord, yeah, I know you're my shield, you're my reward, but I'm still childless. Remember that promise you spoke to me about? He's talking to him like a friend. Verse three, he repeats himself. Do you ever find like you're repeating yourself to the Lord? Yeah, here Abram pretty much says the same thing. He says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. 
It's like he doesn't think the Lord heard him the first time. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your heir Eleazar of Damascus. He's not going to be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and the number of stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is why we need a personal relationship with the Lord for ourselves. This is why we contend in this house, in this church, for every person to have an encounter with the Lord for themselves. That's what convinces the heart. I can't have a whiteboard up here and just logically convince you of the reality and the, the, the relevance of God to your daily life. That has, to be, that has to come through the place of encounter. And that happens here for Abram. He had that encounter with the Lord years prior where the Lord told him his, his, his descendants would be like the dust of the earth. Here he says, look up into the skies. Here's another analogy for you, Abram. Look up into the skies. See the, sky, the, the endless number of stars in the sky. Your descendants will be like the number of stars, if, you can, if, you, if you're even able to count them all. He's convincing his heart of the promises of God over him, of God's purposes specifically for family. And it's from Abram's family that God will bring the blessing of the Messiah to the world. And so we see through this lens of this encounter that Abram has time and time again through this story that the family is one of God's vehicles for blessing the world. And so from this initial story of you know, one of the, the preeminent families of Scripture, I want us this morning to explore some attributes of kingdom family. Attributes of, of kingdom family. And the first attribute of a kingdom family is this. It's a family on mission. It's a family that embraces faith and the adventure of faith following God. One of the ways you see yourself is a family on mission. We are not meant to aimlessly wander. We're not meant just to chase the, the American dream. The American dream is about survival. It's, it's one generation long. It's you, you get your plot of land, your picket fence, and you make the most of it. Kingdom family is completely different. It's a family on mission, a family with their ears attuned to God. And we see this in the legacy of Abraham. You know, later in, in Acts chapter 17, the Lord changes his name to, to Abraham. You know, Abraham... Although he has a hard time sometimes embracing it, he does time and time again bring himself to this place of humility and meekness to receive the promise of God over his life. That the Lord is writing a broader story over his life and over his family. Even, even if it's unseen at this moment, the Lord is writing a bigger story over his life. And it really started with him stepping out back in Genesis chapter 12. He's, he's living his comfortable life with his family in his family's country. And the Lord appeared to him and said, move out from this land and I will show you a new land that I will give to you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and your name will be great so that you will be a blessing. And he calls him and he moves him out to this land called Ur. But it took a step of faith. It took a sense of the Lord has us on an adventure. We're going to take a risk with the Lord. 
So God's best for family is for us to allow the Lord's story to be the story over your life. So if you're going to do, if you're going to live life with kingdom family, you have to know that it's not going to be predictable. It may not always be logical. There won't be necessarily a procedure that you can follow. Your ears are attuned to the leading of the Lord. And sometimes that doesn't always make sense. But this is the hard posture of Abraham. I just love this. In Genesis chapter 14, after the Lord delivers him from his enemies, he has this encounter with Jesus himself through the high priest uh, named Melchizedek, who is a, a type of Jesus because the, the scripture says there's, there's no beginning or end to Melchizedek. And Abraham gives even though he wasn't asked, asked to give it, he gives the first fruits of the, um, the, what, what was taken from this, this rival nation. He gives it back to Melchizedek. This is the heart posture of Abraham, and this is the heart posture of a kingdom family. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for a broader story. What, what's mine is truly the Lord's. It's being open to God's prophetic story over your life. Just a few verses later, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has another dream with the Lord, and the Lord shows him the future days, the future days of Israel, when they'll actually be enslaved in Egypt for more than 400 years. The Lord gives him this picture beyond what he can ever comprehend, nor what he'll ever see with his own eyes. But the Lord graced him with this ability to see a broader story. What would it look like if you began to Embrace the Lord's broader story over your family. He has a bigger story. You're meant, to be, you're meant to live as a family on mission. I've been seeking to do this with my own young family. We have four kids now. But early on, ever since Tanya and I got married, we, we've been praying these prayers. Lord, wherever you want to take us, wherever you want to go, we'll go. Early on... Uh, after college, that took us out to the Northwest, and we, we lived out in Seattle, Washington for a little over three years. I worked as a nuclear engineer. We knew we wouldn't be there long, but when we felt like our time was coming to an end there, um, we prayed a prayer and said, Lord, wherever you want to take us, we'll go. We had a few different um, things kind of open up or opportunities come our way, but we just didn't feel the peace of the Lord on them. Then we got a phone call from Iowa, and, and although we did not know a single person in Iowa, literally, I didn't know anybody in Iowa. I don't know that I've ever, ever met anybody from Iowa. But <laughs> there was, there's, the Lord was just all over. There was just something about the conversations and, um, and the opportunities that were presented to us, and this church, LifePoint Church, called us up, and they said they wanted to start a Chi Alpha campus ministry, and uh, they had a heart for the campus. And uh, the rest has been history. But I thank God for that grace to say yes to whatever he calls us to. to. To take risks, to step out in faith, to not fall prey to a logical story in, this, in, in, my, in my life. I remember when my supervisor sat me down after I, a couple weeks after I, I gave my, my resignation, he said, Drew, this doesn't make sense. 
Do you understand? I had just qualified as a uh, journeyman nuclear engineer. So, I mean, like, all those three years of studying and proving myself kind of came to its culmination just a few months prior to me resigning. And uh, he sat me down in, in his office, and he showed me the pay schedule. And he said, Drew, do you understand? Just in a few years, this, this is the money you'll be making. Like, no one leaves at this point. And honestly, honest to God before you this morning, there was not a single ounce of doubt. I had a complete peace in my heart. I said, I, I know that. I, I know we have to go. I know this is, this is what I need to do. And uh, no turning back. I just didn't, I didn't have a doubt about it. This was, the, this was what the Lord was calling us to do. And I'm not saying it's always been easy. There haven't been moments where it's been scary. But when you trust God with your life, when you allow your family to operate through that lens of family on mission, God will always meet you there. He'll always give you grace. He'll give you more than enough. So I want to ask you this morning, what is it that's keeping you from trusting God? Is it your, from your perception, your inventory of abilities? Is it you clinging to an illusion of control? Is it finances? What is it that's keeping you from trusting God with your family? God's best for us is that we would be family on mission. The second attribute of kingdom family is we are stewards of inheritance. Stewards of inheritance. What in the world do I mean by that, Drew? Let's look at Genesis chapter 17. It's a couple chapters to the right when Abram was 99 years old. So still the promise sits unfulfilled. But Abram has this just, just enough faith to continue on, keeping his eyes on the Father, this Father who, he, who keeps his word. The Lord appeared to Abram again and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. You know, one version says, one translation says, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be, blame, be blameless. That, that word, the Hebrew word that's translated before me can mean his face or before me or his presence. This is the inheritance that you and I receive to actually live in the presence of God. Abram breaks through the, the barrier between God and man and, and points us to a better way, a future day, when you and I will get to live in the presence of God. That is God's best for your life. Abram gives us this, this inheritance. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me. This is the highest call upon your life, to live in the presence of God and to be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The Lord, time and time again, is so good to meet Abram, and now Abraham, where he's at, and convince his heart, woo his heart, repeat that promise. No, Abraham, I haven't forgot about you. I know you're 99 years old now. You know, as the writer of Hebrews says, as good as dead. But yet, I have not forgotten about you. You will be a father of a multitude of nations. I will bless you. I will still use you. 
And Abraham's example is the ultimate example of an inheritance that becomes a blessing to all the nations because he's the first of this nation, of Israel, that in Israel blesses all the nations of the earth. He is the, the inception of God's plan. God had the idea before, obviously before creation, but I'm saying this is the, the fruition of this inception of this idea of God using a people, a nation, Israel. And Abraham is the first. So he is the, the quintessential example of inheritance that becomes a blessing to all the nations and the father of many nations. So a kingdom family understands inheritance. Kingdom family thinks through the lens of inheritance as God's design as multi-generational family. The ceiling of one, one generation becomes the floor of the next. That is the kingdom lens, the kingdom framework for family. That it's not just about my generation, not just about my 80 years on this earth, but it's about what I inherited from the prior generation and what I'm going to leave for the following generation. And God's design is that, that it would be even better, Amen. that it would be from glory to glory, that the, the things that we've contended for and fought for in our, our generation would be a blessing to the, to the next generation so they can take the baton, the mantle, the, the, the blessing even further. As Peter said on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit is being poured out, he wasn't just saying this is for this one generation. Nobody in the, the New Testament is ever talking about just one singular generation. They're always thinking in this framework of multi-generational family. But Peter says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far, at, far, far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise is for all generations. So the Lord has been writing a story through multi-generational family. This mantle being passed from one generation to the next. So we all need to recognize, every single person in this place, whether you're a father or a mother or not, everyone needs to recognize that they have received an inheritance, that you stand on the shoulders of those who sacrificed before you, those who've walked before us. Amen? We've, we've all received much. It's very ignorant. It's very foolish. It's very naive for generations to think that we have accumulated what we have just because of, of our own um, gusto and our own innovation. We stand on the shoulders of greats who have, have gone before us. Actually, I was just recently reading in a book, a new book that Jordan Peterson came out with uh, about a principle for every generation that we shouldn't tear down any institution without first understanding why that institution was built. That it's foolishness. And he compares it to like stepping off a cliff when you tear something down without first understanding why the prior generation put it there. He's not saying there's not a need for reformation or a need for change, but, but we always need to make sure we understand why. And every young generation, and I struggle with this, like being in even church culture. Okay, Lord, I know you're, you're calling for change, you're calling for revival, you're calling for reformation, but what is it that needs to be torn down and what is it that's, that's meant to remain? That's wisdom, that's, that's kingdom, that's a kingdom framework to think through the lens of inheritance, that we have received something. And so family houses this opportunity to demonstrate inheritance in God's way of, of working through inheritance. 
I'm so thankful that I received an inheritance of prayer and waiting on God for my dad. I believe I received a grace upon my life to wait on the Lord and be content in his presence because of an example, a model I saw in my father. I've shared that with him. My dad was a, a firefighter, so he was not a pastor. So those of you that want to give the, the excuse of, you know, you live in a line of pastors or something, it's, it's not that. It's not some hyper-spiritual just uh, bubble that I lived in. He was a fireman. He was a, a blue-collar, hard-working man. But I saw him on his knees waiting on the Lord. Saturday mornings, he'd drag his kids to prayer meetings, and I'd see him there at the altar seeking the Lord. I received an inheritance from my father of taking note of a model, of, of a way of life. Of That's what it means to pray. That, that's what it means to seek the Lord. There must be a higher value in this prayer than just some sort of you know, casting up words to the ceiling. There must be something to this that intrigued my heart and I value, I so cherish that inheritance that I've received. He created an atmosphere where I both saw the priority of prayer modeled and I was given opportunities to encounter God for myself and I so value that inheritance. So when we are stewards of inheritance, it means we have the opportunity to build on that inheritance. We understand what we've received, and now we also have the opportunity to build on that inheritance. So God's design for my family is that my kids would receive the conviction of the priority of being with the Lord, of waiting on the Lord, of, of prayer, of intimacy with God for a third generation and more. My dad is a first-generation believer, first-generation Christian. So God's God's design for family would be that my kids would receive an even greater inheritance of prayer, of waiting on the Lord, of intimacy. Are you tracking with me? That's what it means to be a steward of inheritance. And that's just one small example. So Abraham's example just opened up the floodgates of families being a vehicle or conduit of inheritance from generation to generation, from glory to glory. And that's the word used throughout from Genesis chapter 12 until Abraham passes, is that he would be a blessing. There would be like a, a compounding blessing from generation to generation, ultimately coming through Jesus himself, through the Messiah coming. So we are stewards of inheritance. And thirdly, kingdom family, we, we are radically obedient Radically obedient. You know, one of the more difficult passages or difficult stories to, to grapple with is found in Genesis chapter 22. And just think about kind of the implications and the, the situation. As the Lord had spoken to Abraham decades prior that he would be a blessing to all the nations, that he'd be a father of a multitude of nations. His descendants would be greater than the stars in the sea, greater than the dust on the earth, greater than the sands in the seashore. Those are the three examples he gives. I mean, he's making it very clear. The Lord finally blesses him with his son, Isaac. And here in Genesis chapter 22, the Lord tells him to sacrifice his son on the altar. I mean... You see it in Abraham, the, the struggle, but also like, well, I've gone with you this far, Lord. It's like, you must have something up your side. <laughs> like, you've taken me this far. All these encounters, all of these promises, 
All of his goodness revealed time and time again, the struggle, the strife, the doubts, the, the breakthrough of faith, back and forth. The Lord actually did bless him through his wife, Sarah, bless him with a son named Isaac. And Abraham is still faithful. He's still obedient, radically obedient. And he actually goes on this journey to go and sacrifice his son on the mountain in verses 17 and 18. After he had, Abraham had placed him, placed Isaac on the altar, the Lord intervenes and stops him and he says, I will, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall be, shall possess the gates of his enemy, or the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall be all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It was that radical obedience of him actually going to the mountain, placing Isaac on the, on the altar, having, having the rock to start the fire, having the knife ready to sacrifice his own son when the Lord intervenes. An angel of the Lord intervenes. There's a ram as, as, a, as an available sacrifice. They are caught in the thorn bushes. And the Lord comes through again. But then the Lord says, he will bless you because of your radical obedience, because of the obedience to his voice. He says, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. I really believe that is a prophetic utterance of Jesus himself. Jesus describes himself as the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. No one can enter through me. And Abraham will receive this, this will be part of his lineage, will be the, the gate. So radical obedience is an attribute of a kingdom family. This is not a formula. This is a principle that you can depend on. Somebody else's obedience to the Lord may, may look very different than yours. This comes out of the place of day-to-day everyday relationship with King Jesus. Kingdom is loving obedience, even unto death. Obviously, we see this in the elder brother, in Jesus himself. He is our model of sacrificial, radical obedience. We obey out of love. And many, many times that obedience looks radical to others. It makes others scratch their heads. But it's out of this obedience that reward and blessing flows. You know, Jesus, later in Matthew chapter 12, he says that the highest descriptor of family in the kingdom is seen through that lens of obedience, those that do the will of the Father. You know, he's, Jesus is in a room crowded with people, and his mother and his brother and sisters are sitting outside, and they want to see him. He says, oh, Tell them, I'm with my, my mother and my brother and my sisters. My mother and my brother and my sisters are those that do the will of the Father. So in the kingdom, the lens for the, the highest order, the highest descriptor of family is seen through the lens of radical obedience. 
That is the, the rubric for kingdom family is radical obedience. Family becomes a reflection of the gospel. Also, worship team to come forward. So family mirrors this kingdom way, this kingdom order of sacrificial, radical obedience. Your kids, they see the model of sacrificial love, of radical obedience in their home. And I want us to catch this. I want us to catch this attribute of radical obedience as, as mothers, as fathers in this place. Because I think this is where it comes, push comes to shove for kids seeing the gospel for themselves. And when they see radical obedience, that's when they begin to see that the gospel is real. That my parents truly do love God, that they're willing to be obedient. They're willing to risk it all. They're, they're willing to take a leap of faith for these things that they say are true. Your kids see through all of the, the mixed messages. They see through the, the hypocrisy. They see through the just Sunday morning worship, but then Monday morning, there's zero faith. There's zero action in their faith. There's zero fruit Monday through Saturday. They see it through it all. So kingdom family has this embrace of obedience through relationship that means something for our lives every day of the week. And kids, they catch it. They, kit, they catch it when this radical obedience is, is tangible the world catches a glimpse of families who are radically obedient in their home. I remember growing up, my parents just had a, a, a major grace for opening up their home to people. Opening up, just being generous. They didn't have a lot necessarily, but our home, they never locked our doors. We always had people sleeping on our couches or staying or Honestly, a lot of Sunday afternoons for Sunday lunches after church, we just wanted it to be our family. My parents always invited other people. And we we're like, can't we just have a meal? It's just us. That's the way my parents were. They just always wanted to open up the doors for people to come in, for them to experience hospitality, for them to experience the generosity of God. It looks different than what the world would know. But when people experience it, when kids experience it, when the world outsiders experience it, they catch a glimpse of Jesus. And right here, Abraham was getting a glimpse of Jesus as he laid Isaac on that altar. He's catching a glimpse. And radical obedience points people to the ultimate sacrifice in the kingdom, the giving of the lamb, the sacrifice of heaven, King Jesus giving his own life on the cross. If you don't stand to your feet, I want us to respond to the Lord. What is the Lord asking you to be obedient with in your household, in your family? What have you been blessed with as an inheritance and what is the Lord calling you to steward as an inheritance for the next generation? How is it that the Lord is calling you to trust him in a greater way as a family on mission? If you all close your, close your eyes and bow your heads in this place, just respond to King Jesus. If you're not a father or mother in this place, look to your elder brother, King Jesus, right now. You can still admire and celebrate his design for family, even if that's not the exact season you're in right now. 
This is God's conduit for blessing the earth, his family. And I want to I want to pray over fathers and mothers in this place this morning for God to move in your life, for him to open up your eyes to see how you can live in a greater way as a family on mission, how you can steward your inheritance and how you can be radically obedient. Before we do that, I do want to give an opportunity for people to surrender their lives to Jesus. And if you're joining us online, we'll give you an opportunity as well. If you walked into this this morning, you're like, I don't know what I got myself into, but you've been sensing the Lord moving in your heart. You've sensed something real and you know that you need to surrender your life to God. You know that there's not, that there's something that's just not right between you and God. And this morning you need to surrender your life to King Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Or if you're joining us online, you can, there's a number that's actually on the screen. You can text that number and respond right now so we can follow up with you. But if that's you, would you raise your hand? I'm not gonna call you out or embarrass you. I wanna know who I'm praying for. Thank you, awesome. Is there anybody else? God is so good. Thank you. Yeah, there were a couple hands. This is a decision to surrender your life to King Jesus, to the perfect sacrifice, the one who's given it all for you. It's this acknowledgement that we are not right, that we have sinned, that we have fallen short, and that there's nothing that we can do on our own to make things right to clean ourselves up. We're completely dependent upon him, his perfection and his mercy. So if that's you this morning, you want to lay down your life for King Jesus, you want to surrender your life to him, pray this prayer. Lord, this morning I come to the end of myself. I come to the end of myself. I surrender my all to you, King Jesus. I find myself here at the foot of the cross. And I look to you as my perfect sacrifice. You're hanging there in my place. It should have been me. But you took my place. So I ask you, take over my life right now. Wash over me with your grace and your mercy. Make me new. Make me a new creation by your Holy Spirit. I am yours, King Jesus. I am yours, King Jesus. Can we all just say that in this place right now? I am yours, King Jesus. I am yours, King Jesus. I am yours. I am yours. Would every every father and mother in the house, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray a prayer over you of blessing. just for a sweeping revival to happen in the families of our church. Like truly a renewal of hearts and a refreshing of healing in minds and hearts that would flood into our homes Monday through Saturday. 
Lord, hands raised all across this auditorium this morning, acknowledging in faith this conduit, this vehicle of blessing the earth, family. That's what this is a symbol of. It's a symbol in faith that this is your plan, this is your vehicle for blessing the nations of the world, its family. And so God, every, every father and every mother with their hand raised in this house this morning, I pray you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on them right now. Pour out your Holy Spirit, oh God. Draw them into deeper intimacy with you. Draw them into your presence in their home. Give them a grace to wait on you. Give them a grace to intercede for their kids. Give them a grace to live as family on mission. Give them a grace to steward the inheritance that you've given them and the inheritance that they're leaving for the next generation. And give them grace to be radically obedient. No matter the cost, no matter the ridicule, no matter what people think of them, that they'd be willing to lay it all down for King Jesus. And what would be unleashed, Lord, would be so, it'd be so worth it. It'd be such a blessing. I pray it in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.